I think that was also for old-timey radios. I have these calibrated so they pick up closer to our faces so we don't pick up each other's sandwiches. Yeah. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. I look awful. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, um, it's not often I audibly see Nathan wearing shorts in the daytime, but here we are. Well, that's because I was at home and it's like 80-something and AC wasn't running because it wasn't on. It was turned to heat mode for some reason, which meant... Uh, the opposite of what we want. Yeah. In- which Well, the heat was most certainly not running. No. Right. But the, it was the nonetheless cooling. not in the mode. To cooling. cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Precisely. That wasn't very, very cool of you, House. No. Not very cash money, as it <laughs> as, <laughs> Actually, you know, it, you know not having the heat. Cash it is more cash money. <laughs> um, yeah, as we, were, as we were previously discussing, there were a few times where I was like, man, why are we talking about this now? This is content. But you know what? We're allowed to have regular conversations. We can be friends without recording it. You, you believe right? we're friends off camera. Totally. Or not camera. Off, off, off microphone. Off mic. Off ear camera. The camera of the ear. <laughs> no, they have those for like surgeries and stuff, I imagine. There's got to be specific ear cameras. Or at least like those long tube ones for that scoping. they'll thread up your nose or whatever. For scoping stuff. Yeah. I reckon so. Um, I reckon. I reckon. I reckon. Um, speaking of reckoning, uh, kingdoms of Amalur. Sure. Um, actually, nothing to do with reckoning at all. But <laughs> uh, we haven't started watching it yet. But uh, Kenobi's out today, as of recording this. Yeah. Yeah. Having anticipated and for who a knows, while. It may have something to do with reckoning. It might. Maybe we'll finally figure out what happened to Aura Singh. That's true, as we were discussing last night. And Asajj Ventress. Mm-hmm. Those oh. are two female antagonists from Clone oh, Wars. Yeah. That they never really established what the heck happened to them. I mean, I think it would be odd to address that in the Kenobi show. I mean, him, him and Ventress had a kind of a rivalry thing going, I suppose. Yeah. But, uh, but I don't know. If They've brought back Clone Wars characters in every other of the Star Wars series. On and she's the yeah. only one so far, so so far that hasn't really been brought back in some way. Could, um... Yeah, I don't know. I feel like of the two, Asajj Ventress is the more likely to reappear. But we're also, like... We also have Inquisitors in that show. And I'm like, don't crowd it with red lightsabers. Yeah. We had a nice conflict between, um... Well, I guess Cad Bane fit more seamlessly into his conflict than, mm-hmm. you know, Aura Because he had a history, Boba and I. Um, I mean, Aura hangs out on uh, on Tatooine, so maybe that, Tatooine. that's the thing. Tatooine. But if Ventress shows up anywhere, or even Aura, I feel like Bad Batch or something like that might be more appropriate. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, she's sort of in a similar boat to Ahsoka, where she's sort of forsaken the order of force users that forsook her and trying to find her own way but in a perhaps more uh, chaotic evil sort of uh which is kind of also the arc of um uh of darth maul 
Yeah. Which has been thoroughly concluded. We will not be seeing him in. Although Ventress has very little to do with. Uh, um, she doesn't. She's not driven by revenge since Dooku's dead. No. Um, what else is. Uh, shoot, I just had a thought. Although at the time of the Kenobi show, by the appearance of it, the, his showdown with Maul hasn't happened yet. Right, right. So Rebels is like only a couple of years pre-Battle of Yavin. Mm-hmm. Or like as the Rebel Alliance forms. Yeah. So it'll probably be... It could, at most, I would imagine, be like referenced. It doesn't seem like it'll play any major role. Are we also getting that uh, Andor show later this year? I saw there was a sneak peek released... But I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it yet because that also has a very narrow window to exist between the ending of Rebels and the beginning of uh, uh, Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Although if they have K two S O in there, I kind of don't care. I'll watch it for him. Yeah, I could. Uh, <laughs> we could all use a little more potassium sulfate in our lives. Of course, that would be if he was K two S O four. But right. yeah. I forget what the there is a name for that. K two sulfite. No, sulfite is I think two. two. Okay, ide is three. Uh huh. And I forget what one is, because it doesn't happen much. No. But it would be cool. Chemists in the audience, if you're listening, <laughs> and we know you are, email you are. us at <laughs> for the chemical uh, name of K2SO, the the robot from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Mm hmm. Um, what else? There's a lot of new things coming out right now being late May. Um, uh, the new Top Gun movie is out. I, I mean, I saw the first one. It was all right. As someone who generally likes military aviation, though, I'm way more excited about this one because they actually filmed it in real jets. So Tom Cruise aside, um, I've heard this one's even better than the first one, which isn't saying much, but it's given how people I mean, highly regard the first one. Cobra That's, Kai pulled that kind of move too. True. Right. They made the '80s version of the thing way better than the '80s version of the thing was. Right. So, so it's not common, but you can like it can be done. It can be done. You can sequelize something from the '80s and have it actually surpass the original. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen very often at all, but when it does, the it record does. shows that it <clears throat> usually doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of want to see Top Gun and that's something I want to see in theaters because I feel like that's probably the best the, way to the experience, theater experience with the Jets stuff right <clears throat> um, and then also Doctor Strange haven't come up with an opportunity to watch that yet I want to see it because it's it's. Um, I'm not like incredibly optimistic about it I yeah. think it could be good and it seems like it's a movie that's like okay this is where we're going with the MCU now, kind of a bellwether movie. Which is unfortunate because I wanted a sequel to Doctor Strange. Yeah. You know? And not just an MCU narrative continuation. Yeah. Or another chance to throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Because I feel like that's where the MCU is right now. It doesn't know where to go post-Endgame, and they're just... Throwing darts and like at we a wall. called it, and at first I was sort of like, "Ooh, this could be cool." I mean, in some parts of it have been kind of cool, mm-hmm. um, absolutely, given the flexibility to try new things. But I, I will agree about the, uh, like, outside of series, we haven't really gotten any, any solo movie 
yet. And even the series kind of feel like they're test proving grounds for other characters and other ideas that are not one hundred percent trying Moon Knight, to... as we discussed, it right. seems very much self-contained by comparison. But whereas Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it's like, well, let's see if he works as Captain America. If we can get a Dark Avengers going with U.S. Agent and uh, maybe Kate Bishop and some other stuff from Hawkeye. I don't know. I wonder if they're not trying to try too many new things at once. That might also be the case because, like, Eternals apparently introduced a whole bunch of things that have thus far gone nowhere and not. Been same thing friends. with Shang Chi. Yep, same thing with Shang Chi, and it's like, guys, could you just have an idea and stick to it? That's how you got successful in the. Because when you place. think, yeah, when you think of the original Avengers films, like, okay, here's Cap, here's Thor, here's Captain America. Well, first of all, here's Iron Man. It's like if we can make Iron Man work, and then and then if we can make Thor kind of work. And if we can make, we know we can make Captain America work, but then if we can make them all work together, then we know Thanos can work. Mm-hmm. So right. that was like, they had distinct steps they were taking yep. to set up. Every, they had, they had, they're relying on their momentum too much to try to build up new things. Yeah. Which is not what the first one had. The first one, the first arc, the whole Thanos arc had to build everything. It had to earn it. Mm-hmm. Nothing currently is feeling like they're earning it. They're just yeah. coasting. Yeah. Which, when you distribute force across too wide of an area, it becomes less effective. Yeah. And that seems to be the direction of the MCU right now. But yeah, Honestly, <clears throat> I'd like to see them try more creative pieces and just yeah. give Self-contained up. Self-contained creative like, pieces. There isn't, to my knowledge, any other like huge you know, synthetic Avengers arc or like things where you get a whole bunch of different things together like there was with the Infinity with any Saga. Sort of, with anywhere near as satisfying a yeah. the, climax. The only thing I can dredge up from the bottom of my mind is Secret Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which, I mean, you can make that work, but I'm not sure if they will now at this point. Yeah. And like, after Thanos, it's hard to like, how do you step follow down that from up? that. I mean... You could work Doctor. You could make Doctor Doom work with Fantastic Four. Yep. You could theoretically make Galactus into a threat like Thanos, but really, it's more related to their heroes and not part of an overarching. Like, is it overarching or overarching? Depends on. I don't think it matters really. Okay. Anyway, I always wondered about that. Um, but at any rate, like, they can have their self-contained battles that are yes, they're in the universe, but like. You don't need to know anything about the universe to understand why the Fantastic Four are fighting Doctor Doom, for example. Although Doctor Doom has been a very large Marvel villain in the past. Right. So they could make him an Avengers-level threat. True. Um, but do you think if they were to introduce Fantastic Four, they would have to do it in such a way where like Doctor Doom comes later? Or should they just go right into Doctor Doom? Uh, take your time. Yeah. Build up to something. Make us care about them first. Yeah, and then introduce your because that's something that's threat. something the fantastic movies have failed to do so far. To make you, care I think about we bring fantastic Chris Evans War. back for round three. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? I still I remember all the I never watched the movies, but I remember the Burger King toys of the Fantastic Four era. The the uh, especially I had like the uh, Burning Man. I mean uh, the Burning the Man, Human Torch, <laughs> the, the Human Torch. Yeah, it's just the Human Kurt- Torch Music Festival. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me that Silver Surfer would be a lot of fun in Guardians of the Galaxy. 
You know? Introduce him there. Introduce Fantastic Four in their own movie. Do the and then build up to Galactus with that. Because Silver Surfer can be cool. It's a it's just dumb and eighties enough to mm-hmm. work in Guardians. Yeah. <laughs> it, by from what I've seen so far of like the trailers and stuff for Thor, it looks like it's a natural evolution from the Ragnarok Thor. Yeah. Um, and it's Taika Waititi. I mean. You know, it'll probably be good. This is one of the best movies I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have either of you seen the teaser trailer for the She-Hulk Attorney at Law show? No. It looks a little janky. I got, like, uncomfortable girl boss vibes from it. I'm like, this feels 2016 in... Yeah. Things. Oh, that's a cardinal right there in the tree behind us audibly as we look. I what? don't see a... a a uh, highly ranking bishop. What's up, dude? He's hanging out. I was wondering what that noise is. I'm very distracted by this bird, but you don't see these guys too often up here. Once in a blue moon. Yeah. Oh, they're red. Hello, Cardinal. Um, you look nothing like... Um, crap, which was the one I served mass Burke. for? Burke. Cardinal Raymond Burke, but... Raymond Cardinal Burke. Raymond Cardinal Burke. For some but, reason, the... The proper way to say that is first name, title, last name. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's how they do it. Yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, Raymond the Cardinal Burke. <laughs> <laughs> the Cardinals just need to have wrestler names. Stone Cold. I don't know. Cardinal O'Malley. <laughs> you know, that'd work. Um, All the cardinal names that are coming to mind are the ones that are, you know, in the news for financial mishandlings. And yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Um. So, if that bird has any financial mishandlings, you'll probably be seeing the him pillar in the will be doing some reporting <laughs> on that pillar, an expose on cardinals and embezzlement of church funds from bird feeders. Well, that's why he's uh, across the block from the Newman Center. Oh yeah. <laughs> He's keeping an eye on things. What's 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 unnamed developing company doing over there anyway? Hmm. 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 Not their job. Uh, speaking of not really doing our job, we're the Palladium Papists. I'm James. <laughs> I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. Um, and speaking of speaking, we have a philosophical <laughs> today. <laughs> we're talking about the King's Speech. In a world where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man, or not pull a lever and allow five people to die. Find out in Philosophical. What a what a fluid transition. <laughs> speaking of speaking, <laughs> I put some effort into that this time. Um. If the last couple of episodes are giving you freshman year communication communication class vibes, like this episode and last week, you're welcome. You can you can give us the ninety thousand dollars or the the uh, well I suppose for everyone it's uh, adjust for inflation five thousand dollars if you don't mind because um, <laughs> we had the commu- uh, communication related stuff with arrival last week and now we're doing uh, public speaking. What's next? We're English you composition. Your, your calm one hundred one degrees. We'll do, do Dead Poets Society next to, week. <laughs> <laughs> Follow it up with To Kill a Mockingbird or what? Yeah. Uh, That's more of a law course. Oh, sure. 
Yeah. Anyway, anyway, The King's Speech. So, The King's Speech, a movie which came out in 2010. Holy crap. Yeah, that's <laughs> 12 whole years well, ago. Well, like in my it, brain, it was produced by the Weinstein Company, so he was still in good, you know, you know in good standing good in the standing. world back then. Yeah. Yikes. Oof. Anyway, yeah. in spite of that, it's a, it's a good it's movie. It's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. So, otherwise, it's... we wouldn't be talking about it of our own decision. Right. Um, we anyway, well, we might, but we're saving that one for a rainy day. <laughs> um. So who is the king and what is his speech? The king is King George VI, who is not yet King George VI as of the beginning of the movie. But his speech is, well, a lot of them. Impeded. And his speech is impeded. He has a stammer, which he has had from his youth. And so he, his older uh, brother, David... And his father, the King George V of England in the mid-1920s, they're all existing, doing things as you do in mm-hmm. the post-World War One world. And mm-hmm. his dad is Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> the, the recast, because mm-hmm. the, the first one died, so, yeah. Yes. And then the character died. And then the character died. And, and they this had an one dies as well. General for him. And this one dies as well. But that's neither here nor there. He's not dead yet. Not quite dead. Not quite dead. So, um, yes. Uh, King, well, he has like five names. So we'll just call him Birdie. Because mm-hmm. that is the name by which he is known he's, he's, by one of the other main characters of the movie. Yeah. It's short for Albert. Short for Albert. Mm-hmm. Which to those of you up on Royal English History um, was the name of, I believe, his great-grandfather. But anyway, don't ask me. I do not care about British royalty, <laughs> except when they happen to coincide in um, good movies. Yep. So he has a speech impediment and his older brother is off gallivanting, um, being whimsical and such, not really participating in his royal duties of Does addressing. Does not care one whit. Does not care one whit about his duty. In the course of British public affairs. And Bertie, as much as he would like to engage with his duty, he is has difficulty engaging with it due to his... It requires a lot of public speaking, and with a speech impediment, that becomes very difficult. So he's, like, sought the help of pretty much every speech therapist, doctor, mans that the, the royal... That the kingdom the can judge up. Yeah. Lots of quacks and phonies who are just out and for the money. Shoving marbles in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Oh, smoking loosens your vocal cords and allows mm-hmm. you to relax. Yep. Yeah. We don't know That's that it causes advice. cancer yet, but... Yelling, uh, particularly for this king, because I believe he died of like lung cancer. Anyway. Um, and uh, uh, lots of yelling at him in space. It's all very stressful. Lots of yelling. <laughs> yes. So, Bertie is not having a good time, and he is, um, his wife, Elizabeth, is, or something like that, I don't know. She has, a, she probably also has several names, mm-hmm. but, um. But, uh, Elizabeth, well, Elizabeth's, uh, the, the current queen, this is her dad. Yes. But, um, um his wife seeks out this, um, practitioner of speech therapy 
who has is known to have unorthodox methods, mm-hmm. and, but also good results. But also good results, and obviously nothing else has worked to this point, so we may as well give it a shot. So Bertie goes down there and incognito at first, incognito as the Johnson family, you know, because that was the name they used in the war, so that people didn't know where the king was moving. Mm-hmm. So he goes there, and they have a little trial run with uh, Lionel. The, the speech therapist. Yes. Who insists upon being called Lionel and not... Barbosa. Doctor, whoever. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what his last name is. It was Luger it was Luger or something. It, was Luger. it might have been Logue. 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 Yes. Yep. Logue. Yes. So, he um, he wants to keep things on, you know, friendly terms and keep it, um, keep them as equals so that the practicing goes more smoothly. At this point, it's been revealed that he's actually working with uh, who is uh, the, then the Duke of York, which is basically the second in line to the throne. Because um, I believe at this at this point, has, he was not aware yet that he was going to be working with the, yeah. with the Duke of York. Mm-hmm. At this point, has the older brother ascended? Uh, no, that's no, a little bit later. This has okay. not happened yet. Okay. So their trial run appears to go poorly, mm-hmm. but... Um, Lionel has made a recording of Bertie speaking. One that he couldn't hear because he because he had headphones, headphones on. on and it were blaring mm-hmm. loud twenties music, like you do. And he just takes the record and doesn't listen to it because he's convinced that nothing worked. So later he's you know he's having real sad boy hours at home, and he's like not having it with whatever ragtime jazz record he's listening to. So he pops in the other thing. And it's like him perfectly reciting this passage from Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, obviously this works. So they go back. They have some more speech therapy. And they have kind of a tense relationship because uh, Bertie has a bit of a temper. Mm-hmm. but And he also is kind of been dealing this de- dealing with this for a long time mm-hmm. and is frustrated because he can't really seem to get anywhere and due to a lot of pressure from his family and people that are not very sympathetic to his disability but there's also a note of like personal pride in his status it's like don't call me bertie you'll call me your, your that's what my family calls sir me. um we're not gonna you know do any personal stories or anything like that we're just gonna do the exercises and work on my my just the mechanics mechanics Mm -hmm. you want mechanics we'll do mechanics so they do plenty of mechanics but lionel has a sense that there's several other deeper causes to this thing Mm -hmm. because that's his experience in what he's worked with because people seldom like start speaking with a stutter it usually comes on at like five or six he says that's no one has ever been recorded as beginning speech with a stutter. It always begins at some point. Mm-hmm. So he's got that sense, but, you know, there's not a lot of openness on uh, his majesty's part to talk about those things. He's convinced it's purely a mechanical issue and all of that will solve things. So they do a montage of mechanics work and all of that seems to help. But when he comes time to make big speeches, he still flounders. And so, there he kind of boils over a bit when they're working at one point, and he's like, 
you know, there's nothing I feel like we can do with this. And Lionel starts poking at the core of that issue. Mm -hmm. And he reveals a number of things like, you know, Bertie's probably left-handed and was had that whipped out of him at a young age because, you know, everyone's got to be right-handed because the left hand is for the devil. Mm -hmm. In Bible-thumping Anglican fashion. Particularly if you're a member of the royal family and everything must be perfect. Yes. Speaking of everything must be perfect in the royal family, let's talk about uh, Bertie's brother. Yes, David. He is also didn't like the the family nurse particularly didn't like him and preferred his older brother. I believe is that gets revealed a little bit later yeah, in the that, story. That but is, yes. is, they do talk about that later, but yes, okay. that's in there. So, David is, um, as we said, a bit of a, a party animal, a bit of a you know rule breaker, a bit of a shunner of tradition if you will mm -hmm. and he intends to marry this woman from baltimore he's she's an american first offense is being american second, second offense, offense is, is being currently being married currently being married and mm -hmm. having been divorced once already twice already no this would be the second divorce before i believe he... i thought they said it was twice already and this Wh would be the third which whichever one it is it's not regardless cool. it is non-kosher despite the fact that the Church of England began over a divorce, divorce yeah. spat. Yeah. Let's not address that point. <laughs> let's not let's not get into that hubris. <laughs> anyway, I get, I think it only recently became legal for a member of the royal family to marry a Catholic, like in the last decade. Anyway, mm -hmm. so yeah, all that's going on in the background, and he. Um, George V's health is steadily declining. He appears to have some kind of dementia type thing. And they transfer his guardianship to someone else and all of that fun stuff. And he dies shortly thereafter. So now it's time for David, being the eldest brother, to ascend to the throne. Which he does. And um, he's not particularly concerned, at least ostensibly, about the things of the state. Despite the fact that it's like the 30s now and uh, Hitler's a thing. Hitler is definitely a thing. And, you know, people are out there saying like, oh, you know, he's just, he's just doing Germany things. a little things. too sympathetic to uh, the Nazis. A little bit. You know, uh, one of Hitler's people is sending Miss Simpson, you know, flowers every day or every week or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's not good. Nope. Also, he's a very well-spoken guy. He is. He's, a he's quite charismatic. Kind of a smooth talker. Yeah. Able to rouse people with his uh, ability to speak publicly, which is uh, a good weapon to have in wartime. Indeed. So, it, it eventually comes to a point where he's made his intention to marry Miss Simpson quite clear. And the... Parliament's like, nah. No, you can't. If you want to go through this, you're going to have to abdicate. He's like, okay, gotcha, doing it. And so he abdicates the throne in favor of his younger brother. Basically exiles himself to America and screws over his brother in the process. Yeah, he says, hey, brother, you know that uh, hey, thing you're not very good at? Nothing you're you going to be doing that non-stop You know that here. throne you never wanted and you want to just live a quiet life? <laughs> Psych. Sucka, here you go. Mm -hmm. So he becomes George the Sixth, that is the name he takes. And yeah, so he's gotta make all kinds of speeches and he's he's improving over time with mm -hmm. his work with Lionel. 
They do have a couple of like falling outs and arguments and spats over the course of their training. There was one prior to the, him taking the throne where Lionel was like, you know what, you, you could be a good king if you applied yourself and really opened up. And, and he's like, I don't want to be king. And also implying that you you think I should be king while there's already a king on the throne. That's, <laughs> that's treason. treason, right? <laughs> it's treason. <then. laughs> Remember that thing I told you about being king? Well, it looks like you're about to be king. And there is kind of a sense from Lionel that he is pushing Bertie to be great when he doesn't really want to be. Mm-hmm. He's kind of trying to force him to do something he's not interested in doing. And so that makes... Um, the, the king puts up more be, barriers yes it, it makes him resentful and unwilling to cooperate with the training mm-hmm. and so they they have a big falling out over that and yeah but now that he realizes he's king now and needs to do a lot more speeches like oh crap i better go call call lionel up again and s- apologize for my tomfoolery and lionel in, in turn apologizes for his tomfoolery so they have a fresh start. They have just in time for the coronation speech, <coughs> which oh. is not a terribly long speech. So you know, but it's a high pressure moment. Like the whole country is watching, and even beyond into the, all of the colonies. Hmm. So it's a it's a big deal. And, and also, there are enemies that have their eye on uh, the the Great Britain and like eyeing them up to for size so even though this guy has you know zero to do with the state's actual as function a symbol, as a basically. figurehead of the british people yep. yeah that's important he's mm-hmm. sort of a symbol of the national spirit there is there is a bit um during the setup for the coronation ceremony where the the archbishop of the their church he he's like oh this this guy I've never met this guy in my life. I can't vouch for Mr. Mr. Lionel. Uh, yeah. I can't vouch for him, so I'm going to do some research and find out he's not actually a doctor. And then tell the tell the king. Uh, it, this man has no credentials. He's like, I never called you. I was the one always calling you doctor. You never said that. I mm. see now why you didn't say that, because you're not a doctor. You have no such license. You are not one. He's like, yep, I never claim to be, but I have experience because these guys that came home from World War One were traumatized, shell-shocked from what they had seen in war, and they came home unable to speak, and he worked with them. And so his body of experience in working with those people is what he has brought into his practice. Mm-hmm. Because he also helps like kids and people like that. And actually, I think when one of the times when Bertie's wife goes to like try to set up the appointment, he sends like one of his students out there to talk to her as like basically like yeah he'll take your appointment now like so he to give him practice interacting and speaking sort of impromptu. Mm-hmm. So he's got he's got a great body of work to prove like his capability, and so. You know, his willingness and openness with that sort of reinforces King George the Sixth trust in him. Mm-hmm. And he tells off the archbishop who is kind of breathing down his back about Lionel and saying, you know, back off. He's going to be my dude. Mm-hmm. 
And so isn't they, it like after this point, they have a conversation about like, like at one point Lionel sits down in like the royal throne that they're going to be using for the coronation. Mm-hmm. He's, yep. like, he's like, that, get that, out of that. That's that, that, that's that, mine. He's like, that's, that's what are you going to do about it, fool? He's like, you know, he has his little bit of stuttering. And then he, you know, he's Lionel's doing this to get him riled up because he knows he's when he's clearly angry. He speaks more clearly when he's centered and focused because like that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, the way the shot is framed in that scene is just great because mm-hmm. it's just like Lionel dead center in the. He's like turns around and is like, "What are you doing on that chair?" He just screams, "I have a voice!" He's like, you do. No, no, "Listen you to me, listen to me. Why should I listen to you? Because I have a voice." Yes, yes you, you do. do. Get and that was here. the whole point. And then he, you know, graciously stands up and they start working with the, with mm-hmm. the speech, and it's all good. And he gets coronated king and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the Fire Nation attacked. Mm-hmm. And then the Fire Nation attacked. So World War II has begun, and England is like, "All right, well, we're gonna we're gonna fight them. We need uh, King George to explain this to the British people over the radio." Which at that point was sort of the premier medium. Right. TV mm-hmm. wasn't really a thing just yet. Didn't, like it existed, but it wasn't yeah, like it was not anywhere near as widespread. Yeah, radio was like ubiquitous. So he's set to deliver a big speech to the people of the country explaining why they need to go to war. And it's three minutes, two and a half pages. He just needs to do it. And so Lionel shows up, coaches him, him, gives him the confidence boost to go through their exercises. He sets up the, uh, the studio they're recording him in so that he's like darkened all the windows and enclosed the space so nobody's watching he's hidden the little beep the little light that um shows that they're on air because it's like that's another just having that on distraction and like distraction and uh, pressure but he opens the window because they use that as like for one of the like losing that um like inhibitions by like singing out a window was one of the exercises Mm -hmm. So he's using all these little things that they've done together to build up to this point. It's it's like a synthesis of all of the different techniques and exercises that they have done up to this point, all implemented in this one speech. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't go perfectly, but it goes well enough. And as it it starts off kind of rocky with him starting and stopping and choosing his word and and stumbling over a couple of words but as it goes he kind well, of gains it unintentionally confidence. gives him gravitas as well with the pauses yes which that's another thing he mentions like let there be pauses this is a solemn moment mm-hmm. <laughs> but like as it goes he becomes more steady and more like confident in his speaking mm-hmm. and it uh ends better than any other speech he's ever done mm-hmm. and then you see some shots of him throughout other political interactions and his confidence seems to be much higher and yeah and everyone gives ha- views him with this air of respect that they never really gave him before aside mm-hmm. from his wife obviously and kids and it's not really part of the movie but i think <clears throat> one of the things that would kind of underscore his underscore his confidence is that um and like his sense of duty to the british people is like during the war they were like well because of all the bombing and stuff, should we move the royal family to Canada? <clears throat> Which at that point was still like <clears throat> part of the Commonwealth of England, more or less. Even if it was independent. And like he's like, no, I want to stay here with the people and give them my confidence in them. So, so yeah. he could have taken the easy way out, but he didn't. 
end of speech, end of movie after like a couple of, uh, you know how um, biopics are. They throw a couple paragraphs about what they did with the rest of their lives and mm-hmm. credits. And they all moved to Santa Monica and became street musicians. <laughs> um, so I guess what are some of the things we liked? I one of the my favorite scenes in the movie. The swearing scene? The swearing scene <laughs> in the movie. Because when he gets angry and swears, he he doesn't stumble over his words. He's just getting stuff out there, right? Well, he's just hanging out. and Lionel's just hanging out in his office with his two boys. And he's like, oh, the crap, a client's coming. Get out of here. Go in the next room. They don't know who's in the next room, but all they can hear is just like this incredibly angry swearing. Is everything all right like, in there, Dad? <laughs> yep. Perfectly fine. Don't mind us. Just and, the king of England. Yep, and then he's just rip, pulling out progressively harsher swear words. Mm-hmm. And then during the final like scene where he's prepping and psyching, psyching himself up for the last, um, Lionel's giving him like prompts and stuff, like, and he's just like he'll just mouthing swear words <laughs> to to give him that that rhythm, that sense of it, it's really it's really great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not only is it like a really strong like character moment, but it's just kind of humorous. Yeah, another one of my favorite scenes in the movie is is that one we talked about with like the uh, Lionel sitting on the chair and like forcing forcing um, Bertie to assert himself. It's sort of uh, it's sort of an inflection point, like a moment of realization for Bertie's character, like that he is capable of being a good leader and making the kingship his own. His voice matters. Mm-hmm. It's not, he's not being corrected and silenced by everybody or ignored by people like mm-hmm. he was all throughout his childhood. He, his voice does and always has mattered whether he realizes it or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any other uh, cool things in the movie that we liked? There was something that occurred to me that was, that I thought, but then I didn't write it down because we were talking here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Riley and Nathan watched this while I was at work and I caught the tail end of it, but I've seen it like two or three times. So yes. it's pretty, still pretty familiar to me. Any, uh, what, any other parts you liked Riley? I don't think there's any particular parts that don't like belong elsewhere. Sure. So. Should we get into it then? I suppose so. It's about that time. Um, truth. What are truths we can find in the King's speech? Sometimes you need some encouragement to believe in your own voice. Mm-hmm. You, you are not a, the sum of your limitations. And you need an equal that's willing to listen to you. Yep. Someone who's willing to bring up, you. bring out the best of you. Yep. Both yeah. encourage you and challenge you to go higher and pursue further than you were, because you know someone who is sort of kowtowing to the king or some member of the royal family wouldn't be willing to say like are you really is your heart in this are you Mm -hmm. are you doing this for you or are you doing this because your family expects you to do this are you doing this because you feel like it's an obligation Mm -hmm. yeah everyone else was either um regarding him as a as a king or looking down on him as the weak link in the royal line. There was no no equal aside from his wife who 
he listened to as his wife. And she was the one who originally turned in like to Lionel because she saw what Lionel was capable of and sort of kept coaxing him along, you know, in her, in her, um, you know, in her role as his wife and somebody he loves him a lot. And so because of that initial prompting, he's able to listen to Lionel. Um, I guess also, we're also not the sum of our limitations and disabilities. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As difficult as things like that can, like suffering can be in life, it can be just as much a source of pain as a source of comfort in a really strange way where you can use that as like a shield to keep you from healing, keep yourself from healing because it's hard to get through the painful parts of healing. Um, but through Lionel's encouragement and, and um, challenge, you know, Bertie's able to confront the parts of his upbringing and his life that he, that caused him to stutter in the first place. And, and that's the thing. That's the other thing I, I, that I had wanted to mention earlier was uh, that it was um, Bertie's choice. Yep. He did this like he began he doing it out it. of obligation. Yep. Right. Over but time, one, it developed into his desire. Once he claimed it and made it his own and his own desire and worked at it, then that's when he really started improving. Mm-hmm. And when it wasn't being pushed on him by his wife or his family or by Lionel even, it was only, it was only then that he was able to meet the challenge and uh, work through it. You can't force people into therapy. No. Voluntarist ethics bad. Yep. Any other uh, truths in uh, in the King's Speech? That seems like the main ones. Goodness. What is good in the King's Speech? Lionel's very good. Yes. He's He sees that the problem isn't purely mechanical. It never is with this kind of a this kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be one thing if it was like a head injury that made him stutter. But what it is is it's all personal emotional brokenness. Mm-hmm. Like his patients from the war, like the other clients he's worked with, it's he's got to find what's at the heart of the problem and help them grapple with that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's uncomfortable at because first. Because if anything, I don't the stutter you. is a symptom exactly. of a deeper issue for these people. He wanted it treated like it was the the injury, right? When it's really a side effect. Getting your speech therapy equivalent to like, all right, just give me the, the cough syrup and I'll, you I'll know, go it home. It's like, sir, you have pneumonia. <laughs> yeah. You have to, sometimes you have to really drill down to the root cause of an, of an affliction before you can really, you know, recover. Yeah, Lionel's an example of someone who has a, a real will for the good of the other. Mm-hmm. So he, he loves Bertie in that way. Yep. He, he challenges him to become his best self mm-hmm. to, to maximize his potential, to realize the fullness of the gifts he's been given. And, to aid him in carrying out his responsibilities. Yeah. And like the end card said, he was with him for like every major speech he did after the fact. Because, yeah. Also, um, like I was alluding to earlier, the king's wife, which I'm just going to look up. 
what her name was. Carter or the the actual person's name. Oh, her was her name was Queen Elizabeth. Okay. okay. Um. His uh, Elizabeth, his wife, is also very good in the movie. Oh yes, because it's it's sort of a point at one point in the movie where she's talking about like you know, even though you were the uh, like she sees him for who he truly is, despite his stutter, despite the fact you know he's a member of the royal family, she loved him as a person first, and so she sees that Lionel also understands there's something about Bertie himself that needs to be spoken to in order for him to like find his own voice mm-hmm. and she's the one who like drives him to get this help because she cares about him not just because he's the king but she cares about him primarily as her husband but it is also important for the king to be able to make speeches sometimes right right which gives a little more urgency to it yeah um and by all you know like it, it appears that you know Bertie is very much like a loving husband and father as well he just constantly feels inadequate. Mm-hmm. I think this might kind of roll over into beauty, but there's this fantastic scene early in the movie that really illustrates just how painful the stutter is for him. Mm-hmm. And that's when uh, he's putting his daughters to bed and they want to hear a story from him. Mm-hmm. And he wants to engage with his children. He wants to tell them a bedtime story that's funny and endearing and just kind of... But he can't. Mm-hmm. Because he's constantly stammering, stumbling over his own words and can't get things out in a manner that can really entertain them mm-hmm. and really endear them to him. I mean, they, they love their father either way, yep. but still he feels like he's having this difficulty. He wants to offer them more than he has to give, sort of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then he sort of makes up his own story as he goes because that's something like he's not reading out of a book he's just Mm -hmm. kind of going off of his own imagination which is a little easier for him to run with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um any other bits of goodness we want to talk about from uh the movie those are the major bits because let's be real not a lot of other people treat bertie particularly well in his life no yeah aside from just the the people who are sucking up to him because it's their job to right um beauty what is beautiful about the king's speech take it away james okay cinematography guy want to be cinematography guy uh and i will say this is something that like i was watching a video earlier and like about cinematography because i was bored um and uh and generally enjoy learning about this stuff. But I do have a, a fairly decent idea of shot composition. So one of the things the movie does really well with the cinematography is that uh, if you've ever watched any sort of photography tutorial or videography tutorial, there's this rule of thirds, right? So you cut the, um, you cut the film into basically nine sections on like a, basically a tic-tac-toe grid. And so you want to have the key points you want the audience it works with like how our eyes and brains work. Like we focus on things naturally in these like thirds basically of an image. So uh, framing, that's where like the whole concept of framing comes from. So generally this video I was watching was explaining how like if a character is in center frame um, that is meant to convey this idea of authority, like this is somebody who should be the center of your focus and attention. Like, 
on the video showed like some shots of like Thanos, for example, coming out of uh, the portal and Endgame and different things like, <clears throat> you know, symbolizing power and stuff. Um, early in the movie and over the course of the movie, like at the beginning of the movie, Birdie is shown in ways that sort of break the conventions. Like he's not, he's kind of tucked into the edges of the frame and he's not given like um, what's called look space where it's like, you know, your character, if he's looking in the direction, there's like empty space between his eyes and like the end of the frame to indicate he's looking somewhere like all these little things to make him look small, to make him look um, uncomfortable and awkward. But as he grows in confidence, as he grows, you know, more into his role as king and as a man of authority, and he's able to use that authority to speak with authority, he becomes more and more center framed, more and more normally um, placed in the shot until it culminates where he's giving the speech and he's center frame. Mm -hmm. Um, And so also is Lionel speaking to him from across the microphone, like, well, like coaching him from across the microphone. And so kind of illustrating those points we were talking about earlier, how like he and Lionel are like seeing each other as equals. And after the speech, um, Bertie says to Lionel, it's like, well done. Uh, it was like, well done. Uh, what was his last My name? friend. Yeah. He, he calls him my friend. Like when he's, when they're congratulating each other on the speech. And Lionel calls him your majesty for the first time. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is I think Lionel has been mo- in front for most of the movie was in center frame as mm-hmm. the focus of the shot. Yep. The last shot we see of him, he's off to the left slightly. Yep. Yep, exactly. So where he's starting to take a step back and allow Birdie to step into the yeah. spotlight. So really cuz that's the thing with a movie is that like there's no like other than, you know, some effect shots to, like establish the time period, etc. Mhm. There's not anything super flashy with like visual effects or anything, but what this movie does really well is the cinematography and the, the visual storytelling. And it does like even also the editing. Like every time Birdie went to make a speech prior to like that final speech, mm-hmm. it was always cut off very awkwardly at the end. Yep. Uh, and like they did everything they could to make his interactions look as awkward as they felt for him. Yep. And every time he stumbles over something, it like zooms really close onto his face, mm-hmm. where you can just like like see the hairs on his mustache, like yeah. the individual ones. Like and that that, that end scene in. where he's giving the speech, like you're hanging on every word because you're like kind of rooting for him to like complete the speech well, and like and the people in England too are like hanging on his every word because he's basically he's declaring war on Germany. Yeah, he's prepping them for like a great struggle like generation defining struggle with it's something they're very familiar with. Like he talks about in the speech, like most of us like are still living memory of the last great war. So this is just, this is going to suck. So like Bertie's struggle with like overcoming his speech impediment is also sort of a reflection of the British people's struggle with like overcoming war yet again, you know, it's sort mm-hmm. of a, in the way that the figurehead, the monarch kind of is supposed to symbolize like the will of the British people, that sort of thing. So it's, it's a great layered storytelling purely through visuals and like great writing. It's yeah. It's not like flashy or very like technical. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. It's just drawing that complexity out of simplicity. It's kind of old impressive. school that way. Yeah. A lot of the old movies, like they didn't have a ton to work with, but what they did work with was the camera work. Yeah, it was, how they it told was their stories. Like very Hitchcock camera work in this movie. Mm-hmm. 
and it's like how it it used and broke the rules effectively to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music choices were subtle and well placed as well. Oh yes, um, and also the use of silence. Yeah, particularly when Birdie is trying to say something mm-hmm. of moderate importance. Yep. The silence just kind of adds to the awkwardness and the tension yep. of every pause he makes, every word he fumbles. Mm-hmm. And props to Colin Firth is like one of his best performances, probably. Oh, yes. All the performances were really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, what's what's the what's Lionel's? What's that actor? Jeffrey name? Rush. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Rush. He's also very good in the movie. Aye, that he is. Yep. <laughs> Yar. <laughs> Yar, I'm an Australian. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that's most of it for beauty. Very well made film. Definitely oh, yeah. worth a watch. Uh, Unity. What brings everything together? The king's speech, in terms of how he talks. Yeah, it's like, but also that idea of having a voice. Yeah, because there's the more concrete sense of like having a voice and like being able to speak and articulate, but that also having a voice means on a more, uh, on a more um, philosophical level is like that ability to express and communicate yourself as a person. And also your worth. His voice matters. Mm -hmm. Like he has an individual worth apart from his title, apart from his relationships to other people. Like Birdie as an individual has worth. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he has a voice. He's able to communicate his his personhood. And, and, and that's like, something that had been kind of obscured both by his speech impediment and also by his his uh, position in the royal family as basically second fiddle to his brother. Right, which manifests themselves in his speech impediment. Mm-hmm. I also thought it was very interesting. The I hadn't noticed it before this watching, but the parallels drawn with Adolf Hitler as a country figurehead mm-hmm. he's well spoken he can rile his people up and get them to unify and do what he wants right mm-hmm. whereas Bertie can't be that kind of a leader not evil obviously but right. like that kind of a figurehead that can rally his people because he can't communicate with them in that way mm-hmm. so having that kind of having framing you... it as Hitler being his like <clears throat> antithesis. antithesis yeah like a, like a shadow almost was something that I thought fo- I found to be very interesting. Yeah, that and like choosing to meet the threat of you know Nazi Germany not with you know like parallel intimidation and like, but rather through like his indomitable will. I'll. This is all like historical stuff that actually happened, mm-hmm. but the way it's framed in the movie and the way it's communicated have some very interesting themes. Yeah, the way it's dramatized. Yeah. Overall, great movie. Excellent film. Highly recommend watching. Yes. If you're okay with the occasional f bomb, um, or occasional string of them. Yeah, <laughs> like two scenes, and they're some of the best scenes in the movie. So yeah, it's used rather. Uh, it's used to tastefully. Effect. Yes. Well. Um, I guess on that note, if nobody has anything left to add, thanks for listening to the Palladium Papists. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating to let us know what you th- you think of the show. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Palapapists, at 
you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at palladiumtapists at gmail.com. We'll talk to you again in the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. See ya.